welcome to MonarchCast. We are talking things royal today. I'm Allie. I'm Claire. And today we're moving on from our three-parter on Queen Elizabeth to talk more about um, her sister, Princess Margaret, and her grandson, Prince Harry. So we're bringing a little contemporary into the mix today. What are we calling this? Spare Affairs? The Spare Affairs. And for those of you that don't know the reference, um, generally speaking, the firstborn is known as the heir and the secondborn is known as the spare, which is a terrible way to be referred to, but that's what we're using. Right. So Princess Margaret was the younger sibling of Queen Elizabeth and Prince Harry, obviously the younger brother of Prince William. Um, So before we jump into that, though, I think... Claire, you said you had some royal oops for us? I do, and uh, I don't think things... Well, actually, yes, these are royal oops. I think a couple of these things, I just blatantly said the wrong thing last time, and I did say that I would look them up. So, uh, true to my word, I'm here to put the record straight and give you guys a little background on what we were talking about. And um, this goes back to our discussion on the title of Prince Consort, capital P, capital C, And we had been talking about the very few other female rulers of Great Britain and questioning how their husbands had been styled. And I think the theme I'm seeing here is it depends. Every every situation seems to have been a little bit different. So the first one that we brought up, we were talking about Queen Anne. And embarrassingly, I really didn't know much about her reign. But in my defense, it was five years long. So she's not a... She doesn't loom large in the history of the British monarchy, but just to give a little background on who she was, she reigned as the Queen of England, Scotland, and Ireland from 1702 to 1707. And the way she came to the throne is kind of interesting. Her uncle was Charles II. And Allie, do you want to elaborate on which Charles that is? I think this is the one that you said everybody liked. Yes, he is not the one that got beheaded, right. and he's not the one that wasn't actually king, so... Right, so he's yeah. he's he's probably the most successful Charles so far in the British yeah. monarchy, um, but he had no legitimate children, so um, his younger brother, James, was the heir presumptive, and this was a bit of a problem because it hadn't been that long since uh, Protestantism had taken over instead of Catholicism in England, and so... Catholicism remained at the time pretty unpopular, and James was actually a converted Catholic, which I thought was kind of interesting, but he was a suspected Catholic, so the um, British public and parliament and all the nobles weren't very thrilled at the idea of him coming to the throne. So as a result, Charles had Anne and her older sister Mary raised Anglican in the Anglican church to kind of appease any... um, people that might have an issue with them taking the throne. So James was actually deposed because of his Catholicism in something called the Glorious Revolution. I'm going to leave it there because I We should talk about that. We should. We should talk about it. And the Cliff Notes version is essentially Mary, who was James's firstborn, was married to William III of Orange. Or oh, wrong. so she's Mary of This William is William and Mary, and Mary yes. Ah, and it. so he was a Protestant, and basically Mary had the claim to the English throne. She supported the deposition of her father, and um, William invaded England and deposed James. And this, this is when the Dutch very briefly ruled England. Yes, <laughs> and it essentially ended any chance of reestablishing Catholicism in England, so that's why it's important. But what's interesting about this is... 
and this isn't even the point of my oops, but I thought this was really interesting. They ruled jointly as William mm-hmm. and Mary because William did not have a claim to the England English throne. It was Mary, but he refused to take a subordinate rank to his wife. So he was the king of England. And then... Um, that male ego, man. Yeah, yeah, gets it every time. So he was certainly not a prince consort, but they only ruled for a very short period of time. I didn't even write down the um, years and um, they didn't have any legit any heirs. So when they they both died, and um, I believe William died after Mary. So he ruled England as king on his own, but very briefly. But very briefly. And when he died, Anne became Anne became queen. She became Queen Anne. And this is interesting. She was married to Prince George of Denmark, and. Um, he was styled Prince George of Denmark. He never took the Prince Consort title, and he did receive a dukedom. So he was the Duke of Cumberland, Earl of Kendall, but he was never a British prince or a Prince Consort. So I thought that was kind of interesting because we had asked, or you had said, what about Queen Anne? And, and then I said, I don't know anything about Queen Anne. So I did a little <laughs> digging, and it turns out, actually, it was kind of an interesting story. So I'm going to put a pin in that. Um, she is the last monarch of the House of Stuart. So... Um, we might revisit this. This is a really interesting time in British history. Um, this, I believe, is the late 1600s to early 1700s. Is yes. that right? Yes. And the the crown succession became a bit of a mess, and the whole Catholicism question really loomed large, so much so that at one point they eventually went to their nearest German relative, who yes. was a Protestant, and brought him over, and that's how we wound up with eventually George III, yep. who, of course, is the king that we... Uh, broke away from when we had the revolu- the American Revolution, but that whole period of uh, royal English history is a bit muddled because it was just a constant turnover of, well, who's actually Protestant? Who can we get on this throne next? Well, she was um, actually, yeah, she was succeeded by her second cousin, George of Hanover, um, yes, because Catholics and, were excluded. Yeah, and because a lot of these people, you know, you're finding relatives from the nearest Protestant, you know, branch of the family in Europe, and, you know, people weren't really producing heirs because they were dying out. And, well, um, that end reading will well, get you every yeah, time. Well, yeah, there's that too. Um, it was a really, I mean, I, I do think we should talk about it at some point. It was a really fascinating period. Yeah, I, I was, I kind of thought, huh, I, I'm surprised I didn't know a little bit more about this, but it was a very short reign, so... Um, really not too much to talk about but and her husband Queen Anne's husband um by all accounts they had a pretty good marriage um I read somewhere she was pregnant 17 times um, but yet they didn't have an heir no heirs the ones that were born alive didn't make it past childhood so that's so sad 17 kids and yeah. not one of them lived to adulthood apparently she was really sickly. not beating the odds it, yeah, I, I mean, back then, you know, your odds were pretty low. So then I want to move on just to, this actually ties into this Catholicism issue. Um, Queen Mary was the other one that we had talked about. Mm-hmm. And this would be Mary I of England. And she also had a pretty brief reign. Um, this 15, is sister to Queen Elizabeth I. Yes, yes. Yes. So she is the daughter of Henry VIII. And she ruled from 1553 to 1558. Um, she took the throne after Edward the fifth, I believe. Um, it was no, I'm sorry, Edward the sixth. Um, he was the son of Henry the eighth. He died very young. He was very sickly, and um, Henry the eighth had three legitimate heirs. Um, 
he had Edward, Elizabeth, and Mary, and Mary was the firstborn, so once the son was gone, she had the claim to the throne, but again, we have this issue of Catholicism, so there, it's actually, she is officially the first queen regnant of England, meaning that she is queen in her own right, not by virtue of being married to the king, and that is if you exclude... Um, the Empress Matilda, who um, we may cover, that's kind of a fascinating story too. She is the daughter of Henry I and was essentially prevented from taking the throne because the barons of England at the time didn't want a woman on the throne. And so her son, Henry II, eventually did take the throne, but she claimed the crown but was never officially crowned and did not rule England. And then you also have the Lady Jane Grey, who was kind of a puppet put on the throne so that they could have a Protestant on the throne instead of Queen Mary, and she was beheaded very shortly thereafter. I think, I, I, I don't know how long her reign was, but I don't even think it was a month or so. Um, so that's why Mary one is important. Um, but what's interesting here is the Catholicism issue. So she chose Prince Philip of Spain to be her husband because he was a Catholic prince. And if you know this, her mother was from Spain. So she had a deep affinity for the um, kingdom of Spain and wanted to reinforce the alliance that had been there as a result of her father and mother's marriage. It was interesting because this did not go over well. Nobody wanted her to marry Philip, um, but they weren't going to prevent her from taking the throne. So what they ended up doing is they essentially passed a law that said he could be king of England, but only during Mary's lifetime. And so he was essentially prevented from taking the crown in his own right after her death. So he was styled king of England. But he wasn't a William of Orange situation where after she died, he continued to rule as king. Um, so that answers but the question of how Is that where styled. they started this this whole process? Because I thought that was pretty much how it always went. Like, you no, know, so um, I mean, this is 200 years almost before William of Orange. No, I mean, because like if you think about like, um, you know, Queen Elizabeth's father dies and it's not like her mother becomes queen. Like, she becomes queen. Right, but we're talking about a man. Right, but I'm assuming that's how it would have gone anyway, but well, I guess... Well, they were nervous enough that they felt the need to, to pass Queen Mary's Marriage Act, which basically <laughs> agreed that Unless I'm assuming be... that, like, the rules weren't different for men, which I'm guessing they were, so... Yeah, I mean, the idea is, is this idea that king is the ultimate title and the queen is by nature a subordinate title to a king. And so if you become king by virtue of marriage, you're still the king. So that was the situation that they wanted to prevent. So it was pretty um, interesting. You know, we had brought that up and I had said I wasn't sure. I was pretty sure he was known as the king of England, which it turns out he was, but only during her lifetime. And she did die pretty soon, five years after taking the throne and he went back to Spain. Um, okay, so that, that just covers those. I just wanted to bring those up because I felt like I was really just talking out of my behind on those, so I wanted <laughs> to set the record straight. And the last one I wanted to talk about is the idea of, we had talked about commoners marrying into British royalty, mm -hmm. and this is another situation that the reality is interesting and it's not a straightforward answer so we had talked about Kate Middleton and and it will come up 
when we talk about Peter Townsend and Meghan Markle. Um, but the first commoner, essentially, and it depends on how you define commoner, but essentially it's agreed that the first commoner to marry into the royal family is Elizabeth Woodville um, in 1464, who married Edward IV. And this is something we are going to talk about, I am sure, because Edward IV was, of course, the first Yorkist king to sit on the throne and was a major player in the War of the Roses. So that's the dueling houses of Lancaster and York. And she actually was a Lancastrian and then switched to the Yorkist side when they got married. So that's kind of interesting. But she was by certainly a commoner. Her mother, I believe was a member of the aristocracy, but her father was not. So she was not considered to be a member of the aristocracy. And this is where you go into the idea of, are you a commoner because you're not royal? Or are you a commoner because you are not even a member of the aristocracy? Right, like I guess it's the question of like, I guess what they call the peerage, right? Right. Like you have a title or are you just landed gentry? So, yeah, so the last commoner, true commoner, I would say, is Anne Hyde, who was actually married to James II, who we just mentioned. Um, she, he was Queen Anne's father, but this was his first marriage. Although, actually, she is the mother of Queen Anne. Um, but their marriage and her death happened before he took the throne, but she did, she was a commoner who married into the royal family. And then, so basically as a result of all of this, in 1772, you have the introduction of the Royal Marriages Act, mm-hmm. which essentially says that all descendants of George II were retire, required to get permission before marriage. And that was to prevent commoners or those deemed unsuitable from We marrying. will talk about yes, that. Yes, we will. Because that was still in, in place when Margaret, wanted to get married and it was actually not even revised until 2013 I believe right before the death uh the death right before the birth of Prince George this was the act that also um when they um changed it so that a child of any sex could be first in line for the throne they also changed this so that only the first six people in line for the throne have to get permission which still includes Harry. It does. It does. Yeah. So we will, so talk, we about will talk about that act. Yep. Um, but it's pretty interesting because as a result of that, you have much, you don't really have any commoners joining the family after that. And then this goes into the question of who is a commoner. So technically, Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, um, the Duchess of Cornwall, and Anne Boleyn could be considered commoners in the strictest sense because they were not royal. But they were all from aristocratic families, or at the very least, very, very, very upper class. So, well, I mean, um, in the case of Diana and um, the Queen Mother, um, who was Elizabeth Bowes Lyon, they were both ladies, so they right. had titles. Right. So that's the yeah. question: is if you define commoner as just anyone who's not royal, then you've seen a lot of commoners in the royal family. But if you just include royals and the aristocracy and we're talking about people with no titles you have a much smaller pool of people who essentially achieve the ultimate in um, social climbing really and I don't mean that in a bad way I just mean elevating themselves from the lower classes up into the upper echelon but it really and, just does and depend we on should your... mention I mean even we're talking about classes here but in England you could essentially have 
more money than God and still be middle class. So right. it's an interesting distinction that they make. It all comes down to how, you know, the nature of your birth, who your parents were. You could have a title bestowed upon you. Um, it just, it just, it's a matter of circumstance, really. So if you, if you're talking a strict definition, again, you've seen a lot. If we're t- including the aristocracy, you've got Elizabeth Woodville, you've got Anne Hyde, and then I believe you don't have anybody until you get to um, Kate Middleton. Yep. So I thought that was interesting. I thought that was worth a minor discussion. Again, I really do want to do a little episode on titles and protocols and wait question Mm -hmm. so anthony armstrong jones oh we're talking women oh okay these are oh i'm sorry i should i should tell you i was talking um in the sense of women who would or could become queen okay Okay, i'm not talking about minor royals and and by minor royals i mean anybody who's not either sitting on the throne well the reason i I I wanted to clarify is because today we will be talking about both that marriages act and also um, the idea of a male commoner joining the family, and um, which I think is less of an issue really because it is because they're not marrying someone essentially who's a threat. Well, so ideally, but well, we'll get into the details of that, but. so I just wanted to clarify that you were, okay, you were talking about women. Yes, I was talking about women family. and I was talking about, really when I say marrying into the royal family, I mean marrying the the heir the heir or the king. Um, okay. In, in Henry VIII's case, all of his marriages took place, except for the first one when he was already king, so. Yeah. Did you have any corrections to add? I think I should just correct what I just said. I do believe Henry VIII married Catherine of Aragon after he took the throne. Uh, I believe that could be true because his brother was first. Oh, his brother was first. And then they, it was a, it was a few years of negotiations trying to, because Catherine of Aragon did not want to go back to Spain. And I don't want to get into this because we are going to talk about this. And it just, there's so much to unpack there. But I think there was a little bit of opposition. And then when he became king, or at least after his father died, maybe before he was officially crowned, I'm a little fuzzy on the dates. Uh, you know, he, he kind of said, all right, now I'm in charge. I'm going to marry her. So that's, I believe his father had at least died by the time they got married, which means he was, in a sense, the king. We'll get, but we'll cover had, that when we do our Henry VIII She had first been married series. to his brother, correct? Hmm? She had first been married to his brother? Yes, she was married yeah. to Arthur. And yeah. um, that's a whole, we will get into that because that Sorry. is an interesting situation. Man, I'm like already dragging this out at like past twenty minutes here. Um, we will get, just, we will get there. This is why we are doing this. I mean, this is all such fascinating history. I think. Yes, um, I do want to promise everybody there will be a Henry VIII series. Uh, there's gonna have to be. <laughs> oh, it's it's. I mean, it, it, that reign, just as a sidebar, is going to play directly into the conversations that we're having today because this idea of Catholicism bad, Protestantism good, goes right to the core of his reign. And also like just the full integration of like these laws that you set up for religion and what that means for ruling monarchs and their not even ruling monarchs, but their close family. Anyway, um so we will get into that. Um before we do, should we do some royal gossip? Yes. Do you have something? I have some, but I only want to bring it up because, you know, the royal gossip this week, like, really annoyed me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm shocked. 
No, but it was like, you know, sometimes, you know, because we're hearing a lot of it these days. I mean, like, you know, there was, um, you know, news items this week, you know, Megan was baptized into the Church of England and apparently, you know, that's what you do before you um, join the family. So it's all very standard, but obviously, you know, made the news. Um, so there's all of that, you know, they had a few more royal outings together, but the gossip this week about the women really annoyed me because there was this whole tabloid thing about what is the deal with Kate's fingers? And I kept seeing mentions of this on Twitter and I was like, no, what, what? And then it turns out, I forget which one it was, but some British tabloid had a cover feature. Like, so the cover of their tabloid, there was like a little inset that was like, we're going to prove that Kate's fingers are all the same length. Oh my God. I, I kid you not. Like this was on their page. And then, and then to prove this, they outlined her finger, like a shot of her fingers, like of her hand in a box which the visual image of that proved right away that there was no story because they weren't all the same length. <laughs> and yet they wrote presumably like, you know, a few paragraphs about this mystery. And I was just like, it must have been a really slow I news day. I was just going to say that is scraping the bottom of the barrel. I can't imagine going to whoever's editing this and being like, I've got a great story. We're going to talk about the, how weird case fingers are. We're going to visually draw a box around it to prove it. And then they're going to like look at that and go, oh, well, there's there's no story here. And, and even if they were all the same length, like who gives? You know, like yeah. who cares? So that annoyed me. And then you had another thing where notably this week um, – Meghan Markle joined the royal family for Commonwealth Day, which is a really big event. Like, this is her first official outing event with the Queen involved, mm -hmm. um, which is something that Kate Middleton was never allowed to do until after she was married. Um, but again, we've noticed they're relaxing the rules a little bit. Um, Harry's not the heir to the throne. So um, I think it's kind of like, hey, bring your girlfriend if you want to. Um, but Meghan wore pantyhose, as one does when it's an event of this level and the queen is there and you're going to a church service and, you know, it all, it's all very formal, right? But she's been getting a lot of flack for not wearing them previously in the um, engagement photos and other events. And in fact, she wears pants a lot, which I personally love. Um, but there was just a whole line of gossip about, like, snark about her wearing pantyhose. And I'm just like, my God, can these women live? Like, No, they can't. They just can't do anything right. And it's like, you know, they're talking about, like, the way she looks in them. And I'm like, good God, who cares? Like, I just, I just want to say that, like, the little items I noticed this week just kind of, like, sent my eyes rolling to the ceiling. Ugh, so. yuck. Yuck to all of yeah. that. Although I do want to point out that I do really love that Meghan Markle wears pants a lot. I think it's really modern and refreshing, you know? Like, we always see Kate in these, like, coat dresses. And, like, that's very obviously her style. And, like, that's fine. But, like, I, I do love a good, chic, formal pant look. There was one pant look where I, I, I just wondered where the tailor was. Oh, was it like the wide leg ones that were like dragging all over the ground? And there, it was like rainy that day. Yeah, yeah. Just that was a thinking. poor choice, but 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 usually, you know, she does a very tailored kind of trouser look. I like yeah. it. And I do think, you know, not this isn't really a rivalry aspect of it, but I do think that she has made a conscious choice to wear pants because Kate does not. Um, it, it, because think about it, if she showed up in a lace dress. Yeah, the, the the comparisons would be endless. And I think she's smartly cutting that off at the knees. I just want people to stop also yelling about how sometimes she wears her hair in a messy bun. Like, these people are real people. Sometimes your hair doesn't look good. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> nobody's going to be happy. Yeah. 
Anyway, the whole fingers thing, though, I was like, my God. <laughs> that, is, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, and I think let's not waste any more time on that. No, because, I just wanted yeah. to mention my anger levels at that, because that's obviously what's important here. Um, okay, so moving on to the real issue at hand today, we're talking spare affairs. Um, we've already clarified the spare is the next in line to the heir in the order of succession. Um, so the spares of note today are Princess Margaret and sister of Queen Elizabeth and Prince Harry, brother of Prince William. I think really interestingly, making choices, romantic choices that they want to marry that are actually on paper pretty similar. Um, we've got both Margaret and Harry choosing to, uh, or wishing to marry someone who is a commoner, who is divorced, and what are the family reactions to that? Well, we've got a 60-year period between what became known as the Townsend Affair and the current uh, story that's playing out in the news of what I'm calling When Harry Met Meghan, because obviously I'm <laughs> waiting for that Lifetime movie, right? Um, oh, did you see the trailer, by the way? I didn't watch it, but I saw some photos I've decided that I'm going to have to watch it. We're going to have we're going to have to watch it. <laughs> um okay, so but as you could imagine with the 60-year gap between them, attitudes were fairly different between these two. We had Princess Margaret announcing to her sister that she's in love with group captain Peter Townsend and wants to marry him. Um he had just been recently divorced, pushing 40, father of two children, and attitudes towards that were a little less sympathetic. And now we have Harry coming to his grandmother, the queen, and saying, Grandmummy, I wish to marry this lovely American woman. Um, she's divorced and, you know, but I'm really in love. And it seems like the answer was basically, whatever makes you happy, dear. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about why there might have been some differences between that. And this goes back to our conversation that we had about the... Uh, 80s and 90s for Queen Elizabeth, where perhaps the fallout of those decades is a bit more relaxed attitude towards divorce. Yes, perhaps she's learned you can't force something just because it's correct on paper. Yes. So uh, we'll start with the with Princess Margaret, so the Townsend Affair, which took place over a roughly two or three year period from uh, either 1952 or 53 to 1955. Um there's some debate on the timing depending on whose autobiography you're reading. Um, obviously, people would like to paint themselves in the best light. Regardless, in early 1953, uh, it's apparent that Princess Margaret and group captain Peter Townsend revealed to Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip that they were in a romantic relationship and perhaps wished to be married. Um, for some background Peter Townsend was uh, an employee of King George VI, Margaret's father. Um, he had been a decorated war veteran, and in his capacity as palace employee, he often um, was one of the members who chaperoned Margaret and Elizabeth on royal tours, including um, their long trip to South Africa when she when Margaret was about 14. So he was about 16 years older than she was, um, presumably was not pursuing any sort of romantic relationship with her at that early stage. Um, he was married at the time, um, but by 1953, he was divorced, uh, approaching 40. Um, Margaret was obviously older than 14. So not we're not talking about anything remotely scandalous here about their ages. But you know, this was a palace employee having a romantic relationship with 
a very senior member of the royal family, which wouldn't have really been considered appropriate, but wasn't also necessarily, um, I don't want to say illegal, but it wasn't disallowed, I guess. Um, There really wasn't much precedent for it. Right, exactly. I mean, it was, you know, um, so the disparities between the dates here, Peter Townsend wrote an autobiography where he claimed that a romantic relationship didn't begin until early 1953, around February. Um, But Tommy Lascelles, which if anyone watches The Crown, you know, Tommy's the guy with the big dogs. Um, And the mustache. And the mustache. Um, He's the guy they always bring in for crisis management. Um, he claimed in his, uh, when he published his personal diaries that he had warned Townsend about, uh, rumors of this relationship as early as September, 1952. So it's likely that they were growing closer. Um, they both claimed that it arose out of, you know, Margaret's father had just died and she was really unhappy at her new sort of, you know, as Elizabeth, uh, rose to prominence as the queen, Margaret sort of got shunted off to the side as now she was no longer, just one of the princesses. She was the only princess, but also just didn't matter as much. And that probably had to be a little bit difficult to deal with on a personal level. And Townsend was going through an unhappy divorce. So, Well, and do you think maybe perhaps some of the discrepancy there is there was most likely some overlap with the marriage and like you said, everybody wants to paint themselves in the best light. Right. And like it was noted that he had been unhappily married for a long time. And so, um, you know... They didn't officially announce to anybody anything until after he was divorced, and he long claimed that nothing started until after he was divorced, but it's possible. I mean, you know, Tommy LaSalle's writing in his diary that he had had conversations with... Now, regardless, you know, if he had had this conversation with Townsend, and because people were noticing that he and the princess were growing closer, doesn't necessarily mean they had made any um, changes to their relationship at that point, but... It's likely that the timeline is a little muddy. Now, uh, so this comes out, like, you know, they announced to Elizabeth and Philip that they're in love and uh, apparently that they wish to be married. Although, uh, again, this comes down to conflicting accounts. Townsend claimed that as early as February 1953, they weren't considering marriage because that seemed an unlikely solution to this um, matter, you know, that he... Solution. What's the other solution? Solution, right. Well... I mean, I think they all thought it was unlikely that he would be allowed to marry her. So he's claiming that they weren't really considering that. I mean, obviously, as one would, like, you don't want to present yourself as some sort of, like, um, palace employee who decides he wants to become part of the family that he's serving. You know, it's a little bit tricky there for him, I'm sure. Um, Although, again, Lascelles claimed that Townsend told him before Christmas in 1952 that they wanted to marry and were in love. And again, this muddies up his timeline, right? Um, Townsend's trying to claim that Nothing officially happened until 1953, and yet LaSalle's is saying a lot was going on in 1952. But regardless of the true timeline, the fallout is really where it gets interesting. Um, This was dramatized notably in the first season of The Crown, although they did take a few liberties with the historical um, facts of it. You know, Queen Elizabeth is presented on the show as sympathetic, but ultimately deciding that Margaret can't marry him, whereas in real life... It's a little bit uh, more nuanced than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the queen was truly apparently sympathetic to their situation and wanted her sister to be happy above anything. I mean, by all accounts, Elizabeth and Margaret were close. Um, she didn't want to be the one to break her sister's heart. But again, we're talking about this Royal Marriages Act of 1772 that 
sort of created a few barriers for them. Um, Notably, it required the queen's consent for any marriage of Margaret's before she was 25. Um, By all accounts, the queen was willing to give that permission, but it's not just up to the queen because even if Margaret's 25, she still needs permission from parliament as well as the governments of the empire and the commonwealth. So all of these stuffy old men have to sign off on her whether she can marry this man. And Elizabeth might be sympathetic to whoever her sister falls in love with, but say, for example, Winston Churchill, once he was informed, he wasn't necessarily bothered by the fact that Townsend was divorced or that you know he was a commoner, but his concern was that the Commonwealth countries wouldn't accept a child of theirs in line to the throne should something catastrophic happen to Queen Elizabeth or Prince Philip or their children. Um, At this point, Charles and Anne had both been born. Um, So he would only support the marriage if Margaret renounced her rights to the throne, thinking that he could avoid some sort of constitutional crisis down the line if something catastrophic happens to Queen Elizabeth and her, her heirs, and somehow Margaret's child is suddenly in line to the throne, which would be unexpected, but again, these things happened. Like they had just lived through this whole saga of Edward VIII and Wallace Simpson. So I think those wounds were still very fresh for everyone. And so they were trying to do everything they could to avoid that. Um, Now you may be thinking, well, so what? Like, what's the big deal about Peter Townsend? Well, I don't think the fact that he was a commoner was really the issue. It's that he was divorced. And this is 1953. Divorce is still a big deal. Um, you know, we have members of the palace staff losing their careers because they get divorced. We have um, Edward VIII ab- abdicating because he's not allowed to marry a divorced woman. It's a big deal. And, you know, we're talking about um, Queen Elizabeth here, the woman who is the head of the Church of England, potentially signing off on a marriage of a divorced man, right? Like that kind of gives everyone pause. Um And, you know, it turns out that that might actually be the reason they didn't ultimately get married. Um, So Townsend is eventually sent away to Brussels sort of to kind of diffuse the situation while once the press gets wind of it, as they do. Um, And he doesn't return until 1955, over like a year and a half after this. Um, But when he does return, he and Margaret issue a statement that they're actually not going to get married. You know, everyone's speculating in the meantime while he's away in Brussels that what's the princess going to do? And um, are they going to get married? And everyone kind of knows it's this big situation, but they decide that they're not going to get married. And Margaret claims that this is due to her belief that, you know, a marriage is permanent and a divorced person should not get remarried or that she wouldn't marry someone um, due to her beliefs and also her duty to the Commonwealth. Um, I think in the aftermath of this, a lot of journalists in later years have surmised that perhaps she really didn't want to not be a princess anymore. And that makes Um, sense. because It does make sense. I I think ultimately it's that there were a lot of obstacles thrown up for these two and maybe they just didn't really want to deal with them all at all costs. You know, they just didn't love each other enough. Think about, you know, it's a romantic fantasy, but if you've grown up, in Buckingham Palace and you've grown up as a princess and like we were just talking you know once Queen Elizabeth took the throne really that's that was her identity was princess of the United Kingdom mm-hmm. prince I think and she's already lost like her 
high status in the family, right? Yes. Like now she's already ranking behind two toddlers. So and and do, if, and and is the reality of life as the wife of a commoner the the I'm sure difference in lifestyle would have been significant and also the press probably wouldn't have cared about her as much and you're giving up your identity for um, a middle-aged man who lives Mm -hmm. probably a pretty quiet life is that really in the end a trade-off she was willing to make probably not yeah I agree I mean I agree with what you're saying I think it's that's that to me makes a lot more sense than her doing an about face and saying, oh, you know what? I actually believe that marriage is forever, and so I, I can't possibly marry this man. I mean, you know what? I, I'm reading a biography of Margaret right now, and it seems that she, in her own way, actually was, a, like much like her sister, pretty religious. So I buy that argument. I don't necessarily think it was the full picture. Um you know, I think if you have everyone around you telling you how awful it's going to be if you follow through with what you want, it's pretty easy to just give in, right? Well, I've always felt like this particular situation, and I'm, you know, I haven't read a biography or anything, but it seems like it's this perfect storm of snobbery and tradition and law mm-hmm. and religious conviction. And they came out on the wrong side of all of those things. I mean, absolutely. It's ultimately the wrong decade to be doing this, the wrong time. I mean, and we'll, we'll see when we discuss the, the parallel here with, of Harry and Meghan. But I think in a lot of ways, I mean, Peter Townsend, by all accounts, was well-respected within the royal family. He was, um, you know, a favorite of um, King George VI. And, you know, um, you know, he's a decorated war veteran. We're talking, we're, you know seven, six years outside of World War II, that still carried a lot of weight. Um, but would George VI have wanted to see well, that as, that's his, the question. as so his son-in-law? He's well-respected and loved by the royal family, but is he considered an appropriate match for the Princess Royal? Probably not. Um, that's part of it. But the bigger issue, I mean, it kind of sounds like everybody making a big deal out of nothing. Like, honestly, Margaret's, realistically, Margaret's children aren't going to um, come close to ruling the throne. And... There's no reason, like, her royal status really is more ceremonial at this point, right? And so what's the big deal? But too, be, to me, because the idea that her children, if they came to the throne, the claim would be through her, not mm. their father. So why do you care who their father was? I mean, you have plenty of people well, in British history fear, that came to the throne through their father's claim, and it doesn't matter who their mother Well, this was. is what I mean by timing. So the fear of Churchill's is that, you know, having just lived this whole saga of Wallace Simpson, his fear is that the Commonwealth countries wouldn't go for it. And at this time, you're tenuously holding on to your Commonwealth and the remains of your empire. That matters. Like, you, public opinion of everything matters, right? And so that's the big fear. Um, I still wonder even if, if Margaret was a man... Well, I mean, sure. No, but that's what there, I mean. It's, it's. I I agree. That's part of it. But I think the we can't change whether she was a man or not. I mean, it's interesting to speculate because Churchill was um, definitely previously supportive of Edward VIII and Wallace Simpson. So was he? Um, but I he was. Uh, but I think that he learned some lessons from that. 
Um, so I think that I think that's what I mean by timing is like Churchill's a little gun shy to go through this again. Everybody's just all up in arms because he's divorced, which was scandalous at the time. Um, and that's the big thing. Ultimately, that appears to be the big question was his divorce or that was a convenient thing to pen it on. Right. Everybody's kind of all up in arms. And it seems from our, you know, distance, distant lens here, it seems a little bit over nothing. But this is before half of Elizabeth's children got divorced. This is before, you know, her sister uh, eventually married and divorced a man. So attitudes in the royal family are still very uh, conservative at this point. And I don't think that the Queen Mother really involved herself too much in this. I was going to um, ask you, what did she have an opinion on any of that? The general consensus is she sort of ostriched her way through the whole thing. So Sounds about right. Yeah. Um, because ultimately it wasn't up to her. Well, right. But ultimately it wasn't up to her anymore. I mean, she was going through a very similar situation as Margaret of having her status in her own family sort of reduced, um, by nature of Elizabeth's ascension. So I don't think that she was really butting in. Um, and, and also, you know, she was known to be a bit indulgent of her daughter. Margaret was considered if not outright spoiled, very indulged, but also um, had an interesting relationship with her mother where her mother basically just didn't want to deal with any outbursts or uncomfortable situations with her daughter and just kind of let her do what she wanted. So, And she probably didn't she... want to be the one to say this is a bad idea. Right, absolutely. And, and there was a lot of speculation in the press that the palace really bungled this situation and it was clumsily handled just through the way that it was allowed to get out to the press and then not necessarily contained in a good way. I mean, a lot of it was overshadowed by Elizabeth's coronation um, and everything leading up to that, but it was also the coronation where the press first got true visual confirmation of these rumors that they had been hearing about and were kind of took that to mean, oh, we can report on this now. So there, there's just a lot of discussion that the palace didn't handle it well and speculation that had this happened while George VI was alive, he either would have just allowed it or it would have been handled in a very different way. It probably would have been shut down. Or it wouldn't have happened at all, right? Right, I mean, true. if Margaret's not in a vulnerable emotional state, does she get close to Peter Townsend? So... Um, you know, I mean, we have two fairly good-looking people in close proximity to each other in emotional dress. This is not surprising that, you know, <laughs> yeah. this happened. And and he took a lot of the blame for it because the consensus being that he was, you know, almost 40 and an experienced palace employee and she was a young 21, 22-year-old girl, like, sh- he was the one who should have known better in this situation. Right. Um, and married, so, you know, he should have shut it down. Well, there was that, if too. If that timeline. Right. If we go by his timeline, he didn't step outside of his marriage, but again, other people disagreed with that timeline. <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to fast forward about 65 years to our current day of a very similar situation in a very different light. Um, it's not, and it's it's kind of hard to talk about, obviously, because this is a ongoing tale that is happening. It's not exactly documented as historical events, um, but I did manage to find a few helpful timelines online of Harry and Meghan's courtship 
everything you want to know. When Harry met Meghan. When Harry met Meghan. So the general consensus is that um, Harry and Meghan were set up through a mutual friend around July of 2016. They immediately headed off. A few weeks later, they traveled to Botswana, where um, they spent some one-on-one time together. It grows more serious. Um, And by October 2016, uh, the press is beginning to report that Harry has a new girlfriend, and surprise, it's an American actress. Um, Very few people had heard of her. I had watched a couple seasons of Suits, and then I was kind of like, really? Her? (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, where did she even meet Prince Harry? You know, that kind of thing. Um, So everyone starts to get wind of this. Um, They obviously remain silent on the matter um, because that's just palace protocol, but... Unfortunately, uh, even in 2016, people can't help themselves, and so Harry is forced to confirm the romance in November when he issues a statement basically slamming the press for public harassment of his girlfriend, um, and basically not just the press, but general public attitudes that were less than um, pleasant, I guess. Uh, People were being pretty racist and sexist, and... Um, because Meghan because, Markle is, in fact, biracial. Yes, which honestly is one of my favorite things about the fact that she's joining the royal family. It feels so modern and like just like it's about time, right? Um, anyway, Harry said, some of this has been very public. The smear on the front page of a national newspaper, the racial undertones of comment pieces, and the outright sexism and racism of social media trolls and web article comments. Some of it has been hidden from the public. The nightly legal battles to keep defamatory stories out of the papers, her mother having to struggle past photographers in order to get to her front door, the attempts of reporters and photographers to gain a legal entry to her home, and the calls to police that followed, the substantial bribes offered by papers to her ex-boyfriends, the bombardment of nearly every friend, coworker, and loved one in her life. I mean, that's a pretty powerful statement from a member of the royal family who usually stay mum on matters like this, right? Yeah, they never comment. I think if my memory serves in the 10-year courtship, for lack of a better word, of William and Kate, I think he only addressed the press harassment once. Well, and it it appears to be a trend that they will step up and address it when it gets too much. And, you know, as much as we tried to think that the press might have learned some lessons from Diana, it appears they certainly haven't. Um, And, you know, people have been speculating on Harry's love life for, you know, 10 years, waiting for him to also find, you know, his Kate or whatever. And I think it's a fair assessment to say this is not who the British public thought Harry was going to pick just based on his previous dating history and also just this idea of who is suitable right I mean up till now he's mostly stuck with either British um socialites or um you know Zimbabwean socialites with close ties to England and basically they all have a very similar look of being white and blonde and um you know and I think perhaps you know Harry stepping out with this American actress who is biracial looks nothing like his previous girlfriends but you know the glimpses that people may have got it seems it it almost seems from the get-go people are reporting this in a different way right like Harry's older he's talked publicly about wanting to settle down and wanting to find someone so I think to have it come out that he's got a serious girlfriend everybody's immediately thinking oh is this it and then you have the it wasn't like 
oh, he's been on, on a few dates. It was no from the it's, beginning. They're seriously it was, dating, and yeah, exactly. And I think because of that combined with who she was, everybody was like, "Well, hang on a minute." And the press did not react in the best way. I think one of the headlines um, said "straight out of Compton." Uh, it did, and that was one of the racist headlines. She is not from Compton. And that is an extremely um, stereotypical racist headline, obviously. Um, but that was the kind of things that were coming out in the media. So Harry said something about it. And then Harry got flack for um, even doing this. And, and then there were a bunch of rumors that William was upset with Harry for speaking publicly on his relationship. So William was forced to issue a statement supporting Harry, where he said, the Duke of Cambridge absolutely understands the situation concerning privacy and supports the need for Prince Harry to support those closest to him. So that was taken as yet another confirmation of their relationship and also that the royal family is throwing their full support behind it, or at least um, William. Right. Everyone's on the same page, at least at Kensington Palace. Right. Because Which at this point also office, it's been just, reported I, that... I, I just want to mention this really quickly. The Kensington Palace is the office that runs the press for William and Harry. Yes. Um, and also, I mean, because at this point, you know, people are digging into Meghan's history and she's scandal. She's an actress. I mean, this is 2018. Who cares? But she's also divorced, which as we've talked about with um, Camilla and you know, just now Peter Townsend and, you know, um, all of the Queen's sibling or children, basically, you know, divorce was historically a big no-no in the royal family. But here we have Harry dating a divorced American woman in her mid-30s and nobody really seems to be blinking, right? Um, so that itself is becoming a bit of a story. But as the timeline continues, um, Meghan and Harry are officially spotted out together for the first time in London in December of 2016, and then again in February of 2017. Um, it's reported that uh, he's introduced her to his father and also William and Kate. Um, by March 2017, they go to Jamaica to his friend's wedding, um, basically confirming that he's bringing her as his date to semi-public functions. In April, she shuts down her lifestyle blog, which is a signal to many that an engagement could be forthcoming. Um, apparently, that's not the reason she shut it down, but it's it's an it's an indicator that her life is becoming a little bit less public. Uh, I, I'm going to just interject here and say that's 100% why she shut that down. I, I believe that as well, but that's... At the time, you can't say that because then you're going to just feed the engagement she, rumors, right? She was setting that up. I think, I think you know, she had been on Suits for how long? Seven, eight seasons? She was setting that up to be her next chapter. Mm-hmm. And to just completely shut it down. And not only shut it down, delete it. Yeah. Like, that to me was... Well, just an FYI out there, if anyone really wants to read the tag, just go to the Wayback Machine on Google. You can see it all. <laughs> Nothing, everything on the internet lives forever. But yeah. in an official capacity, it was shut down, wiped from the internet. And that when that happened, I knew they were going to get engaged. Even if they weren't, you know, secretly engaged behind the scenes, that was, That's that an was indicator how she that... proved to the royal family, yes, I'm here, I'm serious. Yes, like that is it. She and Harry in the background are having discussions of this is very serious. We probably think we want to make this official. This is what you have to do to become a member of this family. And I fully believe she's just going, great, tell me what I need to do. It's fine. Um, and that's why she gets a lot of flack for planning this, which is ridiculous. But I think it's more that she was just show, willing to show that like 
she will assimilate herself however they need her to do. Well, and the, the, even, you know, talking about the parallels here, 60 years ago, being a member of the royal family was not the job it is now. And I think that William and Harry have both talked about the fact that it is a job. And when you marry somebody, you have to make sure that not only do you love them, you want to be with them, but that they can handle the job that you're asking them to do. And I think... Well, and it's a very public job in a way that it wasn't always. Right. And now it's like they're basically just tabloid fodder. It's a part... So, it's essentially you're being asked to play a part for the rest of your life. Right. Which I think not everybody can handle. And I think, you know, she gets criticized for showing she can handle it. But I don't think that delegitimizes their relationship. I think it just shows that he found the right partner. Right. And, and he said when, you know, they did their engagement interview that he knew immediately that he wanted to marry her, which you know, that might be true, that might not. It sounds like very early on he knew that he wanted to make her his um, princess, I guess. That sounds so weird. So now you Um, said he had to get permission. Right. So, well, we'll, okay, so we'll continue the timeline. So, um, you know, a couple months after, or a month after uh, Megan shuts on her blog, um, they attend uh, the, the wedding of Kate Middleton's sister, Pippa. Um, Notably, Meghan only likely attends the reception. This was also a big scandal in the press, regardless of the fact that this is protocol in like upper class British society, basically. If you're not married or engaged, you generally don't get an invite for a plus one. Um, But, well, I don't really want to go into that. The whole, I think the biggest theme of this whole timeline of this relationship is the press has just been insane. <laughs> like yeah. the scandals that have like come out of like literally nothing. But um, anyway, also around that time, um, because of the wedding, Megan's spending a lot of time in England and reports begin to surface that Harry has received permission from the queen to propose to Megan. So this goes back to that Royal Marriages Act where Harry is, regardless of the fact that um, William and Kate have two children at this point, he is still within that up to six removed from the throne um, sort of marker. So he does have to ask the queen permission to get married. Um, In August, the couple flies off to an African getaway for Meghan's 36th birthday, and bookies begin taking bets as to when the couple's going to announce their engagement. Um, In September, they still haven't announced an engagement, but she is interviewed by Vogue and talks about the relationship publicly, which is notable. I mean, usually, I don't think there was ever an interview with Kate Middleton by Vogue, like, tell us about your relationship with Prince William, you I know? I feel like that was a reaction to the negative press. Was, I think it was. I think it, I mean, there's no way this wasn't discussed with the Kensington Palace oh, press office. Oh, she did I'm, I'm sure they probably set it up. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, this is, this is not an accident that this happens. This is done with full permission and probably endorsement. And this is all done to say, see, we're just normal. And I felt like, like that was a, an official introduction to the public. Like, I feel don't, like it was too. Don't, that interview was notable in that it revealed literally nothing other than she confirmed she was in fact Harry's girlfriend. And she's a good cook and she's yeah. wholesome and yeah. her, you know, past life is just exactly that. It's a past life. And it was very much a, see, here's what we want you to see. Here she is. She's coming. Get ready. Well, and... You could argue, oh, she's an actress, a public figure, do we really need this? But we do, because she was an actress, but she was an actress on, like, a basic cable drama that not that many people watch. And a lot of people, when, you know, it was announced that he was dating her, were kind of like, who? Like, she's not a tabloid fixture, right? Like, she's a Canadian celebrity. Like, who she was. 
Yeah, but she's like, she's on the like Canadian Toronto, like socialite celebrity scene. Like that's not like, you know, she's not showing up in like Hollywood gossip magazines and like all of this stuff prior to dating Harry. Like she's, she's, she's not, she was not at a level before where she is now by being Harry's girlfriend. Um, so they do have to introduce her in this way to the public and, you know, but because she has a somewhat public presence prior and, you know, all of this horrible stuff being written about her, I think they do have to do this sort of like, you know, um, sanctioned, you know, introduction through press that's not like a hard-hitting piece of journalism, you know? Yeah. I mean, Vanity Fair is, they, you know, Vanity Fair, Vogue, that's kind of where they go. Yeah. Um, or was it Vogue or Vanity Fair? I, I don't remember. Um, so then also later that month, um, they publicly debut as a couple officially at the Invictus Games in Toronto, where she lives. Um, notably from that, there is a lot of PDA in front of the cameras, which if you've watched 10 years of William and Kate, that does not happen. <laughs> um, so already we're getting a notice that they're doing things a little bit differently. Um, and then by November, it's a very busy month for Megan. She quits her role on Suits. She moves to London. And at the end of the month, an engagement is announced, which everybody knew was coming. I mean, she quit her job and moved to London. This is She's in it for the long haul, right? Um, she's announced that she's not going to be an actress anymore. And so by November 27th, they're doing a photo call in, um, in the you know sunken garden. And everybody's like, it finally happened. Um, very little though at this point is still made of the fact that she's divorced. Um, as we've been talking about, more attention is paid to the fact that she's American and notably biracial. Um, and you know, this whole wedding lead up continues. They've announced the wedding date is the middle of May and, um, everything we've gotten since then is, you know, breathless headlines of here are the engagement photos and, um, Megan is baptized into the church of England and, Basically, it's all very uh, reminiscent of the lead up to William and Kate's wedding. I think it's um, so interesting that people, if I remember correctly, people were saying, oh, well, she's divorced. They can't get married at Westminster Abbey or they can't get married in the British church. And the, um, I think it was the archbishop came out and said, yeah, they can. We don't, we're cool with it. That's fine. So but even I mean, the that's church the whole has thing is that, attitudes. Right. 60 years later, the biggest thing that you're hearing is, they can't get married in the church. They can't get married in Westminster Abbey. But you're not hearing they can't get married at all, right? And even the church is coming in and saying, no, actually, that's that's cool. Like, 60 years later, it's not this big crisis that it was with Margaret. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, the queen's attitudes have changed. And I don't even know if it's the queen's attitudes, but I think it's the queen's attitude towards public perception. I mean, no one else cares, so why should she, Right. Yeah, and I think it's also, what, how do I say this? You know, it's 60 years later, given even putting public attitudes aside, when Margaret wanted to marry Peter Townsend, she was freshly on the throne, the queen, I mean, she was freshly on the throne, and she was very much taking the advice of the prime minister and the parliament and the advisors around her and letting them guide her actions. And here you have, you know, she's crossed the diamond jubilee threshold. She can do whatever she wants. If her grandson wants to marry a biracial American divorced actress, by all means, have at it. You know, I don't think she would let anyone talk her out of that now in the way she might have 60 years ago, even if public perceptions were the same. I mean... 
the other notable thing about Megan is, you know, she's the first woman to marry into the royal family in a perhaps ever who had a job. Yeah. Well, Sophie. I mean, okay. I mean, like a into like a, a closely ranked member of the royal family. No, I mean, I think it's a good narrative there, a parallel there. You know, Sophie married Edward, who was the son of the monarch and had her own PR firm that she only gave up after a scandal. So, yeah. I mean, I say, let's say she's a second, but I get your point. It's rare. She's not a lady I mean, kind of bumming around teaching kindergarten Kate had like, like Diana. nominal jobs, but like she never really had a career Kate, because... Kate was I, doing she, what Diana was doing. They were waiting around until they found a husband. And I don't mean that in any kind of bad way. I just mean... It is a certain idea of, well, you once you get married, you won't be working, so don't put too much time and energy in a career. Well, and I also think in Kate's, in Kate's position, she gets a lot of flack for being um, a little work shy, but I also think at that point, she and William had been together long enough that the public was expecting them to get married. And I don't know that she could have found a real career because as a public figure of that level, like... How could she have, you know, I mean, like she got a few jobs probably um, based on, you know, her position or maybe some skills, I don't know. But eventually she just started working for her parents because it was like, what else was she going to do? Like she was too public of a known figure to really, it'd be like, you know, Taylor Swift being like, oh, I want to go get an office job somewhere, you know? Yeah, it was never going to work. Yeah. And, And that's not her fault. That's just, you know, and regardless of whether they were ready to get engaged or not, I mean, she sort of... I think she does not get the credit that she should for like the position that she found herself in. It was probably extremely difficult, but maybe one day we'll do a Kate podcast. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, because I think people give her a lot of flack that she doesn't deserve. But um, anyway, we're talking about Megan, <laughs> Megan and Harry. So, but I think most notably the, um, you know. The situation with Margaret and Peter Townsend was this scandal. And the thing with Harry and Meghan is a very similar situation. And, I mean, everybody's just really excited. Yeah, I I think it's... I think it goes back to all the things that we talked about. And I'm so glad that we did Queen Elizabeth first because I think that everything that we talked about plays directly into the difference between these two narratives here. So we're talking about the press and the invasion. And I think on the flip side of that is you get people feeling much more invested in what happens and I think putting the racist stuff aside and the people that are determined not to support this I think a lot of people are excited that everybody loves Prince Harry and everybody's excited that he's in love and it's very clear that he is in love with this woman so I think that from the public perception they just they're happy because they are invested because they read about these people every single day whereas maybe back in the 50s you might read about them once a week and it was more of a here's what they're what's happening but it wasn't this breathless invested gossip that you see now I mean and you know the internet didn't exist you didn't have a hundred thousand people commenting on a daily mail article right and I, I think it's I think what you also mentioned is a good point too is that people do really love Prince Harry and it's an interesting um narrative of his in its own right, right? Of, you know, he went from this basically royal screw up to um, one of the queen's most trusted, like, goodwill ambassadors to, um, you know, kind of being the perceived third wheel in this, like, William and Kate uh, marriage. So, um, 
everyone I think is just really pleased to see him like settle down, right? And I think I don't want to keep bringing it back to sexism and things like that, but we're not talking about a 15 year age difference, and we're not talking about a 15 year age difference where you have an older man, maybe. If, if you didn't outright believe this, maybe in the back of your mind, we're thinking he's preying on this young, vulnerable woman. Right. You're not seeing anything about that in this situation. Um, you know, maybe sure there's people out there that say she's a social climbing gold digger, but I think we can easily dismiss the narrative there because I don't think that those types of people would do very well in this family long term. No, it doesn't really seem to be the case. Um, I mean, it's a little bit gender flipped here. I mean, she's three years older than Harry, but <laughs> um, right, but that's not a fifteen. No, and it, it doesn't really matter because um, I think that was a lot of what played into even the Edward VIII Wallace Simpson narrative is that it was this idea that she had gotten her hooks into him and wasn't going to let him go to the detriment of an entire nation. You're not seeing anything of that here, right? Um, but also, I mean, I think as we mentioned, this is why we're not talking about Edward and Wallace today is it's a very different situation with them, right? Like it really, it really Harry's is. not going to rule England. So I think you're right. There are a lot of parallels here and I think it's just all about timing and it's all about so many things have changed to pave the way for this relationship to be successful. And I think, you know, like we were talking at the beginning of Queen Elizabeth's reign, Everybody was so uptight, and it was ne- it was never going to work just because of everything that they had going against them. Do you imagine? And now, arguably, they have a lot of the same things going against them, but these aren't the problems and obstacles that they would once have been. Yeah, I was just thinking, do you imagine a different outcome of this if, say, um, Margaret had never wanted to marry Peter Townsend and none of Elizabeth's children had been allowed to divorce. Like if the attitudes don't change, like how do you see that playing out differently in this situation? Like I think public attitudes would be like, why is the royal family being so stuffy? But like, I I wonder if like they hadn't learned their lessons of like, sometimes divorce is okay. Sometimes it's better to let people marry who they really love so that you don't end up with scandalous divorces. Sometimes, you know, you just have to let people be people. Like, I wonder if if the queen and her family don't learn these lessons, I wonder how this plays out differently. But we... If they had maintained their... Their, like, anti-divorce like uh, divorce stance. Their rigidity. Or, yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't... Thankfully, I don't really see how that could have happened because I think the outcome of that would have just been a lot of public outcry of how stuffy and backwards the royal family remains. Um, I mean, I think, I think it's this idea, Queen Elizabeth's reign, you have this, one of these themes that we talked about of not necessarily wanting to please the public, but acquiescing to the point where you can maintain your more rigid traditions because you've relaxed in other areas. And so it's kind of like this happy medium of ancient institution in a modern day era. And you've got to coexist within that realm. I mean, if you compare it to the Japanese Royal family, everything that happens there is just steeped in ritual and tradition, but it's kind of secretive. You don't have this level of access. And I think it was in the news in the past year, the princess, she has to marry a royal, or if she marries someone who is non-royal, then 
she has to give up right. her rights. And that's what she chose to do because the, there is no other option for her. And they have not bent. They have not relaxed. They have not... They have not changed the way they operate in any modern way. And yet you see them in an incredibly modern society to the point where I really feel like a lot of people feel like the Japanese royal family is its kind of there, but it's like that dusty vase you keep on the shelf and nobody really thinks about it day to day. Whereas you see the British monarchy is still very much a part of the everyday British person's Consciousness. Right, and I think, I mean, that's kind of an example of, I think the Japanese royal family is sort of in danger of traditioning themselves out of existence, but um, the other thing too is, you know, they did suffer a bit of a change in their status, you know, at the end of World War II in a way that the British royal family didn't have to. Sure, yeah. that's true. I mean, they were on the losing I side. I mean, I think people tend to forget that Japan even has an emperor. <laughs> But that's, that's what I mean. Like, they they haven't, as a result of the situation they found themselves in, they really haven't evolved. No. I mean, it's, it's a bit interesting that, like, I mean, what if you're the person who's going to rule Japan can't find someone royal that he wants to marry? I mean, what, you're just going to not have a royal family anymore? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer. But I think, I just think that you, to answer your question... There was no question of the royal family not evolving. I don't think you would ever have found yourself in this day and age. You know, we talked about it a little bit. Kate and William living together before they got married. I mean, 20 years ago, that would have been unheard of. And it was, you know, maybe not... Everybody maybe wasn't super comfortable with it, but they weren't told, no, you can't do that. Yeah. And it didn't diminish Kate's value as a future wife. No, because it didn't diminish her value to the public. I think that's the biggest right. thing. I think that's what you're saying, and I think I agree with it, where it's really about what does the public think of this? And if the public is on board, then, like, she can't really say no to anything because then she's going to look bad in the eyes of the public, right? So Right, and that's that whole idea of they're walking such a precarious line of being obsolete. And so one of the ways that you keep the public from remembering, oh, yeah, you're obsolete, is to keep them happy right. with what you're doing. Yep. And weddings and babies and all that stuff is the easiest way to do that. Absolutely. Well, maybe not easy on a personal level, but, you know, from a public level. Um, yeah. Probably costs the most amount of money, but <laughs> brings in most of that tourist revenue. So um, I, do, I do wonder, though, I, I wonder if Margaret was still alive, what she would have to say about all of this. I, I was wondering that. Like, I wonder if she would have some sort of heart reply to the whole situation of I paved the way or something like that you know um because you know what she did have to do a lot of this suffering so that they don't have to it's the same with you know um Charles and his siblings they did a lot of the suffering suffering so that their generation doesn't have to worry about that um I mean who knows down the road what ends up happening it doesn't appear that the younger generation is headed toward they all seem to be happily married those that are and don't appear to be heading towards divorce although you never know what gets kept out of the public eye um but you know by all accounts the, the younger generation has fared better than their parents because their parents had to suffer through this rigidity that they they don't have you know they have the freedom without it so um they are learning and moving on um on that note i think that about wraps up spare affairs I don't know what we're talking about next time. 
it'll be a surprise. Yeah, we've got, I think we have plenty to talk about. Yeah, yeah, Um, we've got a whole list that we're making. And if any of you are out there listening, feel free to drop us a line on social media and let us know um, if there's any stories you would like to cover. We are Monarchast Pod on Instagram and soon to have a Twitter handle, hopefully. Um, But for now, you could drop us a line on social. Let us know any royals you want us to cover. I think we have a list, obviously, that we're working off of. Um, Maybe we should skip around the timeline a little bit. Um, Yeah, but for then, uh, I don't have a cool British sign-off, but... uh, That's okay. We can stick with Cheerio. No, I... (laughs) Sounds like cereal. (laughs) I will talk to you later. All right, (laughs) Bye. bye.